0: Hey, everyone. You're listening to When Ban Things Happen to Good People, a podcast about censorship and the arts. My name's Todd Sullivan. My co-host goes by the name Orrin Barter. Yeah, now I do. And today we're talking about the autobiography of Malcolm X. Orin, how are you doing today?
1: You know what? Pretty awful, but I'm looking forward to this.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm not feeling super great either. I don't know. I feel almost like, almost like I might be on the verge of coming down with something. I hope that's not true, and if it is Ooh. true, I hope it's not uh, coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Uh, just feel kind of out of sorts the last couple of days. Don't quite know why. Uh, actually, on top of that, I've had for. Almost a week now, I've had this massive ankle pain in my left ankle, and I have no idea what I've done to it. Um, I have a suspicion that all I did was, like, walk on it slightly strangely, and it's all just a result of getting old. Your body just starts randomly failing on you. But uh, it's getting a little better. I still limp a little bit, but... swell up. No, not really. Hmm. I kept looking at it compared to the other ankle, and it didn't look like it was swollen. But I don't know. I mean, I'm not a doctor. Anyway, still hurts.
1: For me. Yeah, I feel you. I threw my back out.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. how you were finally able to get the reading done this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a little bit of downtime from work. Uh, is there any anything good going on right now?
1: Ah uh, well, we other than the epilogue, we finished the book and holy crap. I mean, we'll we'll get to it, but that last chapter really effed with my head.
0: Yeah, I thought, yeah, again, as you said, we'll get to it, but um, there is a lot to say about that last chapter and these last few chapters. and I as much as I I want to try not to talk too much about our reaction to the book as a whole because I I am planning. A separate podcast for that. Um, I think it will be hard to talk about some of these chapters without doing some looking back at earlier chapters because there's even Malcolm X himself, uh, as he's as he's dictating, um, has references to some of the earlier things that transpired. So I think it's kind of impossible to talk about these last three chapters without looking back at least a little bit. We'll do our best. We'll do our best, and hopefully, not make that uh, final. Episode really boring and short. It's like, yeah. Yeah, make the final episode unnecessary and or redundant. We liked it. (laughs) So this has actually been about five weeks since we last talked about the autobiography of Malcolm X. Uh, Three weeks ago, we recorded an episode on Gone with the Wind, which is sort of a fill-in episode uh, as we hadn't gotten the reading done. And then because... August had an extra Sunday in it. It's now been three weeks since we recorded that episode. So it's been about five weeks since the last time we talked about Malcolm X. And and going into this episode is a little weird for me because of the five chapters that we are talking about, which is uh, chapter 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19, I read the first two about four to five weeks ago. And I read, or sorry, the first three about four to five weeks ago, and the last two, like, this week. So the last two are, like, fairly strong in my mind. I didn't take very good notes for these last two, but the first three I have better notes for, but my memory is going to be, I think, a little bit more hazy. So we'll see how things go. I I may be looking to you to fill in some blanks for me.
1: Oh, please don't. (laughs) <laughs>
0: no i'm a, I'm already looking at my notes for chapter 15 and thinking what what am I talking about <laughs> hey man, it's good that you've got better notes for the chapters you read forever ago though it, well it only helps if the notes that I took actually remind me of things but let's let's feel it out let's see what happens all right um we'll start with chapter 15 which is called Icarus and I remember the last time we talked about the autobiography of Malcolm X, we were looking forward to this chapter and and sort of making some, uh, kind of testing the odds to see who Icarus would turn out to be. And if memory serves me correctly, when it came to accidentally, actually reading this chapter, there wasn't an Icarus.
1: (laughs) Yeah, not really, eh? I mean, I guess an argument could be made either way, that it was either Malcolm or Elijah. But it's not really, like you say, it's not really clear cut,
0: right? Yeah. It, it feels almost more like the the name of the chapter might have been not necessarily so much this was an Icarus story or this person was the Icarus figure, but more maybe a warning that 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 sort of, that someone had that potential, that someone could have gone that route, maybe. Okay. I don't know. All I have is, it's like I read through the whole chapter then I got to the end of it and I I put down the note, no one was Icarus, (laughs) question mark, exclamation mark. It's like, you get through all that and uh, there's nothing there. But what the chapter was about, I think, for the most part, was about Malcolm's place and in a sense, the nation of Islam's place. Uh, in the growth of the civil rights movement in the 1960s, early on, he talks about the civil rights movement, um, or when he's asked about the civil rights movement, because to him, it seemed like you know the civil rights movement was very much about uh, integration, right? It was about equality and also integrating into American society, and the Nation of Islam and, and Malcolm X weren't so much interested in that. And so when he was asked about the civil rights movement, he would kind of use that as a, as a springboard to talking about other subjects, um, similar or tangentially related, but like the actual attempt to integrate and gain equality within American society wasn't really something that interested him.
1: Right. Yeah. He often criticized um, what he, I don't know if I'm quoting properly here, but it was integration, crazy uh, black people. I think that's Mm. integration crazed. I think maybe was the word. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I know at one point he compared um, black integration with whites, with the integration of Jews in Germany. Right and not obviously that not being a, a particularly favorable comparison. And then he talked about um, the march on Washington, which started out as kind of a a grassroots effort, a grassroots effort on on the part of just sort of average black people to get noticed. To have their their plight recognized, mm-hmm. people from all across the world, these blacks from all across, uh, black people from all across um, America, were were marching on Washington,
1: and it was relatively like unorganized, like it was, it, like you say, it was just a broad grassroots, like, hey, we're gonna do this, we're gonna stand up for ourselves, we're gonna show our faces, we're gonna,
0: yeah, right, and then initially,
1: yeah, and then yeah, I'll let you continue there.
0: But then, you know, the you know, the white politicians started, you know, contacting some of the the civil rights leaders and saying, well, hey, what do you guys think about all of this? Do you guys want to get involved in some kind of an official capacity? And so then they got brought in to speak. And then um, you know, gradually as, as sort of more and more safe people i guess mm-hmm. were were drawn into to the march which kind of stopped being a march it just sort of became like more of a an event or a i don't know what you want to call it
1: well everything was structured at that point it's as yeah. malcolm describes it every where they were going to go where they were going to speak it was it was all coordinated um by he felt uh the white the white people right Mm -hmm. we're we're kind of like pulling the strings on this now this Mm -hmm. thing that was supposed to be or started out as uh you know like a grassroots that's a great word for it uh grassroots movement kind of everybody just kind of became a pawn and yeah they had a curfew and everybody had to like everybody left like like um he said there was nobody, nobody left in the evening. Like it was just like, it was done and everybody was told to go home. And, you know, it wasn't really, nobody really had any autonomy. It was, yeah, it was interesting to hear that because, because you hear it like I've, I've heard about that March before and, and not in any of that capacity. It's supposed to be this, this great moment in civil rights history and to hear Malcolm talk about it as people being used as puppets to mm-hmm. just make something more, I guess, calm or more
0: palatable yeah. to, you know, white society.
1: Yeah. It's, it was an interesting take on it for sure.
0: Cause it was, it, you know I mean? I got the sense that, you know, it was, it was defanged or declawed. That, yeah. Uh, the, the march itself was, it was very angry, but by the time it, it got there, there were all these sort of, safety parameters and um, social structures in place to sort of calm everything down and and keep it right keep it from getting out of hand and you know keep the you know keep the negroes in line I guess. Uh, and then sort of the final anecdote in that chapter that I have a note for is about him he's having dinner in Harlem. And and this is a, a, in a period where he had been uh, speaking at, at many many colleges and universities and I guess he had just he'd spoken at some university somewhere and his what he had said had sort of impacted this this white woman to the point where she got on a plane and and flew to Harlem and managed to track him down at this restaurant mm-hmm. And she said to him like, you know, I your message really resonated with me. And as a as a as a white person who wants to help, what can I do? And he told her nothing. Yeah. Which, I mean.
1: And he clearly put that in the book for a reason. He did. Yeah. Um and I, I'm I clearly sure bring it up I've, for a reason. Yeah, I'm sure he said that to so many people, I'm sure he's been asked that a lot, um, but I think the maybe the lengths to which this woman went really struck a chord with him. And uh, again, it's something that comes up later on. Uh,
0: well, that's the thing is that uh, he later in the book, and not to get into details, but he ends up looking back and and regretting that message. But um, that was that was the message that he had at the time. Um, that was. You know, he was, he was, you know, again, he was a member of the Nation of Islam, um, which is preaching, you know, black superiority, um, black essentially separation. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, how would they want any assistance from, you know, white people? It's like, guys, you've done enough. You know, you can stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat>
1: yeah. Um I think he also uh, and he mentions this later on I like I don't want to jump back and forth too much but um I think you can say that he definitely pulled from his experience, his previous experiences with white people who wanted to be around the the black people right and, and mm, not, really, mm, trust, point, not really trusting them um because he had seen like their true colors even even after yeah. expressing that want to be around uh, he- like
0: either you know this is like a fashionable thing or this is almost like my weird kink or like
1: yeah
0: they don't necessarily have the most altruistic reason for being there. Yeah that's an interesting point. I hadn't thought of that uh, So moving on to chapter 16, which is called out and um, this is the chapter where uh, Malcolm X leaves the Nation of Islam. Uh I found this chapter so interesting. Yeah. Um just in the 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 speed and the way in which the Nation of Islam kind of turns on him.
1: For, so ferociously.
0: Yeah. Um so at the beginning of this chapter Elijah Muhammad is becoming more and more ill. I don't know if we talked about it much in the past, but he had—I don't know if it was asthma or just sort of general bronchial breathing issues. Mm-hmm. But he was eventually moved to sort of was it Arizona or someplace with like a a, a warm desert climate?
1: Philadelphia?
0: No, Phoenix. No, that was where Phoenix. That's where he was. Around. Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so he's been getting more and more ill, and so Malcolm has been taking on more and more of the duties, um, but that is leading to a certain amount of jealousy in the ranks of the Nation of Islam. He doesn't go into a whole lot of detail there. Uh, And in fact, to, I guess, Malcolm's credit, even as things kind of fall apart with the Nation of Islam, he doesn't do a lot of finger-pointing. No, if anything, he tries to deflect... Yeah. He
1: he yeah. you know it, and I mean this is just one person's account but he's been very very truthful and reasonable. So it's hard to say that he would be anything other than that in this chapter mm-hmm. as well. I tend to believe that his experience is reality yeah. to a, to a pretty good extent. Um but yeah, he really can we uh, let's t- should we talk a little bit about uh what happened with Elijah.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, this is really, I think throughout the book, the only negative thing that he had to say against Elijah, um, which is that Malcolm ends up finding out that Elijah Muhammad had been having affairs or alleged, allegedly having affairs, uh, and impregnating his, uh, it was his secretaries, right? Yeah. It
1: was two, two secretaries had four children.
0: Yeah, and there All had told. been paternity suits filed against him.
1: Well, and and both of those secretaries were
0: were kicked out of the Nation of Islam as well. Yeah, and it you know it reflected back on Malcolm's brother, who had been mm-hmm. kicked out of the Nation of Islam for the same thing. He had been um, kind of fooling around with one of the the secretaries at one of their um,
1: temples, and and Malcolm. Malcolm did broach this subject, like, way back when he was talking about that. He, he would say that some brothers were, um, what's the word? Not, uh, expelled. Was was it expelled?
0: Um, I think we use the word excommunicated, but I don't think that's what it was for this church. I don't think that's the word they use. okay I, mean, I don't remember what word they officially used.
1: But I, I remember when he was talking about his brother being, uh, expelled, excommunicated, um you removed from the nation of Islam that he did mention that a lot of these people that were being removed were being removed for the same things that Elijah himself had done. And then he said, but I'll get back to that kind of a thing. So he did hint to this. Well, yeah, It was a a
0: nod to what was coming. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So
1: we've all, Um, I've I've been waiting for quite a while to like, (laughs) what did this guy do?
0: You know? Yeah. Yeah um and so because at this point in time still Malcolm's first focus is uh is the church and uh and Elijah Muhammad as the head of the church he starts trying to think of ways to kind of spin this mm-hmm. and he and I think he draws this from from something in scripture that I didn't take a note of but he ends up coming to the idea of arguing about how, um, you know, a man's good deeds outweigh their bad deeds. Right. And kind of considers, and I, uh, considers encouraging Elijah Muhammad or just the, the nation of Islam in general to use that as sort of an explanation or a, not an explanation, but a, call for forgiveness i guess to say like hey he's made mistakes um but his his good works outweigh that
1: right which i think was a very smart approach i think that Mm -hmm. i think that if that that could have probably worked
0: but i don't think they ever did that i don't think that ever ended up
1: he did he did preach about that um he said he did. He did express that. He did bring that into some sermons, or are they called sermons,
0: for, whatever. Yeah, yeah.
1: He did bring that into the church. He didn't specifically tie it to Elijah Muhammad, yeah. but he did. He did teach it. Um, I found Elijah's explanation to be much more disturbing for
0: his actions. Remind me what that was?
1: He felt like he 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 explained it to. Uh, Malcolm, that he was just fulfilling a prophecy. That everything he did was was just God's work. Him fulfilling the... Profo- uh, <laughs> pro- mm. pro- I can't even say it. Prophecy. Simple word. It's only three syllables. Goddamn. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and uh, he kind of likened himself to... Um, I don't really know the Bible stories. You'll know more, but he brought up Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, He brought up, uh, well, maybe that was Malcolm when he was trying to do the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds. I'm getting a little, I'm getting my, my signals crossed here a little bit, but it really did disturb me. Like all of this, him being God's messenger and, um, you know, really just, he starts to feel like he's taking on some sort of, deity role Mm -hmm. um to try and make up for the fact that he's just been a really not a great human being um and uh just kind of felt like when he said that a lot of the other things in the church kind of started to make sense to me it felt more um culty in a way Mm -hmm. like that sort of explanation for bad deeds just Like he was, he had this power, he had these people, he had this kind of control and, and he wasn't really willing to let any of that go. He wanted to maintain this deity image. Yeah. It was disturbing.
0: While Malcolm was taking on, uh, more of the responsibilities and more of the duties and particularly more of the, the speaking connected with the nation of Islam, um, in the midst of this is the JFK assassination uh, in 1963. And I think the, the Nation of Islam had sort of internally decided that they didn't want to comment on it. But at a certain point, Malcolm is asked about it, and he he made the comment that the chickens were coming home to roost, which is, you know, about, you know, basically saying that white White man's hate is breeding more hate, and that's the point where the Nation of Islam starts kind of pushing Malcolm X out. Well, it was like an excuse. I think. Well, I think. that it was like an excuse, yeah. right? That, but that, that was the point. It was like we said we weren't going to say anything. Um, now we got to like you know pull you back from from your like speech roles for a year. Um, he even like took the time I think to contact some of the press organizations to say like, "Hey guys, I won't be able to talk to you for a year." <laughs> I think. Well, I think it was ninety days at first. Was it ninety days at first? And then, yeah, I think but so. but
1: I think he realized early on that it it was not going to be ninety days. Yeah, and then it just it just drug on and drug on, right? Yeah, and then uh, yeah, i oh, sorry, I'll I'll let you go, but. I'll well, I'll
0: all I was gonna say is my next note here is about the Cassius Clay and Sonny Liston fight. Uh I beyond the fact that Cassius Clay, aka Muhammad Ali, um was a, a Muslim. I don't really know what my what the the what his place in the book was. I guess it had to do with you know, he helped bring the idea of Islam as a religion to a wider audience being, you know, here is the heavyweight champion of the world and he's a muslim.
1: He was a a member of the nation of Islam. He wasn't He was a, a member of the Nation of Islam, muslim, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So,
0: but I think for a long time that would be like the primary muslim group in the United States.
1: Yeah, I would think so. When you hear yeah. his his account of going to Mecca, it was like an American Muslim was such a foreign concept to them.
0: Around this time, Malcolm finds out that there's sort of been orders put out for his death,
1: mm-hmm. and that's that's where I that's where I wanted to go. That was yeah yeah.
0: What I found interesting about this is his first thought was, "This must be." Uh, because this must be this must have come from the nation of islam and i don't know how many people when if they got word of the fact that people were trying to kill them their first thought would be oh man it must be because of my church
1: <laughs> right and that like that's another piece of the, the cultiness
0: like in my like how i feel about it um yeah now. well see what what that made me think of is that like except for the fact that there were references in past chapters to the fact that the Nation of Islam sort of had a um w I don't want to say like a military unit, but they had they had people that were that were like trained in in combat as like kind of security and bodyguards. Um but other than that, this is the first reference I've heard to the Nation of Islam wanting to fuck people up.
1: And he, like the way he describes it he's like, yeah, if if you know there's so many brothers out there that if Elijah told them to kill me, that they would, they would do it in the name of, of the church. Like, like it's almost like it was a common thing or.
0: That's exactly what yeah. my thought was like, then this can be the first time the nation of Islam has at the very least talked about, if not actually gone through with killing someone For Malcolm X to go, Oh, <laughs> this must be the nation of Islam trying to kill me. Yeah. Um, uh, and I guess it's it's understandable that if there had been murders related to that in the past, it's not something Malcolm X would have brought up in, in his autobiography. But it it does definitely stand out a little bit to me. Oh, huge.
1: Yeah. I mean, it makes you, it makes you wonder, like, if... I mean, Malcolm was a pretty big part of the church. Is there any chance that he had his hand in any previous...
0: Yeah, You know, it no, makes exactly. you wonder,
1: I mean, and like you say, would he talk about it?
0: Oh, yeah, no, certainly.
1: Probably not, right? Yeah. Um, we don't know. We weren't there. But it's, like you like you say, like, if, if your first thought is, oh, it's my, you know, previous employers or my previous church or whatever, kind of not. You must have a reason to think <laughs> yeah. that
0: they're capable of that, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't just go, well... It- Must be the paper boy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he never did like me.
0: (laughs) But he doesn't sweat it too much. Um, And he starts working on um, his own separate organization from uh, the Nation of Islam, which I have written down as Muslim Mosque. I think it's supposed to be incorporated, maybe? Muslim Mosque Incorporated. (laughs) Yeah, that... That, I forgot the C because I so I've got Muslim Mosque Inn.
1: Yeah, no, it was Inc. And yeah, okay. and yeah that that really didn't make sense to me either, but Yeah, Muslim uh, Was it was it just Muslim Mosque Incorporated? That was it?
0: Yeah. Okay. Maybe he maybe
1: he had to least. open it as a business.
0: Maybe tax write-offs. <laughs> I guess so. Um and it's at this time that He decides he wants to make the pilgrimage to Mecca. Right. So he goes to see his sister. Ella? Ella. um, Who, it turns out, had already been saving up money for her own trip to Mecca. But out of the goodness of her heart, um, she loans Malcolm the money so that he can take the trip first.
1: And he's gone for a long time.
0: He is gone for a long time. Um, but before he goes and while he's gone, the whole process, especially I think for an American Muslim Mm, to mm. get into Mecca is kind of insane.
1: Right. He needs to get written permission from, uh, I can't remember his name now. Doctor. Do you have it written down?
0: I don't have it written down, but yeah, he basically needed to get, uh, written permission Even just to fly in.
1: Oh, I thought it was to actually get to Mecca. I didn't think he needed written permission just to fly into. Well, I think he flew into Cairo, didn't
0: he? He needed, well, yeah. But I think, I thought he needed some kind of special approval on his passport in order to, like, actually get into the country. And then from there, he needed additional permission to get in, I think. I could be wrong. Okay. We're we're now in my bad note area. So. <laughs> okay, but I, I do know that he did need he did need to talk to someone <clears throat> either in America or in Europe or or something first before he could even like well not, I shouldn't say before he could before he did board the plane does that sound right to you
1: Yeah, sure. I I, I didn't take notes, so I'm just gonna no, right. I'm just gonna go with whatever you... what you okay. wrote is
0: is gospel to me. And Mecca, Mm I had to look this up, uh, is basically, it's the historical city that the prophet Muhammad was born in. Isn't he buried there too? That could be. Okay. But it's also where he was born. Okay. And it's, you're not allowed in unless you're a Muslim. And even then, you've got to like, kind of prove your standing you've got to prove your faith you've got to you know you've got to prove that you're worthy now
1: was that for everybody or was that just for americans there was definitely i think there was definitely more restrictions for him because he was from america
0: yeah oh yeah certainly i think it's one of those things that it 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 all depends on your circumstance yeah uh and coming from america it did mean he was under a lot more scrutiny,
1: which is why he needed that letter of of approval.
0: Yeah, uh, and even then he had to end up like going in front of some kind of a a judge, mm-hmm. and then you know trying to tell the judge, you know, prove to the judge or argue to the judge um, the strength of his faith and the strength of his convictions, and uh, you know to try to get permission to enter. And all of that, that struck me as like, you know, I'm not, I'm not religious. Um, but if I were, I think having, having some kind of a, a, of a place or like something that's that divine to your faith that you've got to go through those many steps to get there. I think being able to go through that process would be profoundly moving. You know what I mean?
1: I'm not sure I follow. Are you saying that having to jump through those hoops is in some well, way would strengthen your faith, or are you saying that it was a stressful situation?
0: No, no, I think I mean obviously it would be stressful. I mean that's yeah. um I don't I, I remember him saying
1: Oh, that. I th- I okay. I think I know what you're that
0: everyone—not not every Muslim has to—but I think every Muslim is encouraged to go and 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 travel to Mecca and do the visit to Mecca. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's 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 a very important part of of the faith. And because it's not it's not just Disneyland, right? It's not just something that yeah, you, you, you can, just
1: go and then you're let in, and it's like.
0: Yeah, Thanks you know, for like coming. those, you know, yeah. mega churches or whatever. Every everybody goes in and whatever. Yeah, the fact that there is like a, um there's a, a difficulty getting there, that not just getting there, but like you have to really, it's it's a gated thing. You have to thing. earn it. It's, you have to, you have earn, to it. earn it. Yeah, it would it would be really I think it It would create an experience that I think would be more moving than other experiences All right
1: yeah, no, I feel you know I feel you know it's a yeah. like it's an accomplishment
0: it's it's uh something to overcome for your faith right and it's something that not not everyone gets to experience, yeah, you yeah. know that there were probably people there wanting to get in they're not getting in they might never get in um so you.
1: He did have help getting in. He he did have struggle at first. He did have help getting in. Yeah, he did struggle at first, um, and he was pretty humbled by, I think, uh, what he called the orthodox Muslims, mm-hmm. and the contrast of of the the more traditional Muslim faith and and his own, and he realized there were a lot of gaps mm-hmm. that that he possessed in in his knowledge of the of the religion. Um, and he expressed, he expressed shame in like not learning the prayers in Arabic. Somebody had mm-hmm. written them out for him. He said at one point, um, like an Orthodox Muslim in prison, I think wrote the prayers out in Arabic for him. And mm-hmm. uh, he, he didn't take the time to learn it. And when he was actually uh, getting ready to, to go to Mecca and, Everybody was praying in Arabic, and he didn't know what they were saying. And and yep. yeah, he definitely. And and he's a minister. Like he's it's not he's he's considered a minister, or he was for many years yep. uh, in the United States. And and to go to uh, to be in the situation where you're around Orthodox Muslims, and you realize that your knowledge base. Of their reality is 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 very slim, in the terms of how to pray, the words to use, the language to use, um, I think probably shook him pretty good. Yeah, he probably didn't think he was gonna make
0: it in, really. I, well, I know there were definitely points that he was very concerned about the the likelihood of that. Um, but then he got some help from. Like Some royalty and some sort of higher ups.
1: Well, this, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was the same guy that he needed that permission letter from. It was his son, wasn't it?
0: Mm, it may have been,
1: or maybe, I know, maybe it was somebody that he knew, maybe it was his son. I'm not sure, but he was, yeah, a very important person,
0: yeah. And he, the the this individual, I want to say, was like a uh, like an Egyptian royalty, yeah, like a prince, I think. um. And the guy was like, here, um, come stay in my hotel room or whatever, instead of like sleeping on the ground outside Mecca. Um, and to help him, because he, one of the things they said when he was finally you know granted permission to go in is that the, the pilgrimage, the actual process that you're supposed to go through once you're in there can be quite physically demanding. Mm-hmm. And so this guy was offering up sort of his, his, his home or his hotel and, and the amenities there to allow Malcolm to sort of get enough rest and, and get enough food to be ready to sort of make it through those challenges.
1: Right. I think that also the time that he spent, because it took him a while, he had the phone number, he knew um, he could contact this person, or at least he did prior to, to arriving, and it might have taken taken him a little while to communicate with people well enough to say, "Hey, can can you make this phone call for me? Here's the number, right?"
0: Yeah. Um, but he. Well, I think he was reluctant at first to go that route too. Yeah. Okay. Because it was a bit of a calling and a favor.
1: Yeah. And he wanted to do it. He kind of wanted, yeah, yeah. He wanted to do it on his own, but yeah. I think he when he talked about his time, um, you know, just kind of being in the thick of it and, you know, sleeping on the rug and, and understanding there was a really interesting part about the rug that he, he explained, you know, they had dinner there. It was a kitchen. It was um, mm-hmm. where they prayed. It was where they sat around and, and talked. It was where they slept. It was where they slept. It was, you it know, it was all of these different things. And he'd kind of jumped back to his times in Harlem Maybe not. Was it Harlem? When was he stealing? He had that like burglary ring going on. Was that in Harlem? I think that was before Harlem. Or was it after no, it was after Harlem when he got run out by oh, yeah, yeah. And Archie. Yeah. And he remembered that rugs were a big were a big ticket item. Right. Because they're worth a lot of money. And he didn't understand it back then, but he does now. There's so much care that goes into these things because in other parts of the world rugs are are very very important mm-hmm. you know the lives are structured kind of around around them in a, in a way right um and i think he regards his time kind of slugging it uh, just as richly as he regards his time um as you say you know calling in the favor being um a little more more pampered um, I think he took away from being around like real, honest to God Muslims. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was that was an interesting. Uh, I enjoyed that part of the book,
0: and I think it's it was it was during his time in Mecca too that that he he kind of abandoned the nation of Islam faith uh, to take up the Islamic faith. Um, that is the more traditional one. Mm -hmm. He also talked about, um, after the visit to Mecca, um, kind of discovering um, a brotherhood between all races. Right. Yeah, this was big. And he sort of had his first moment, I think, of, of realizing that not every white man was bad. You know, he talked about how there were, you know, everybody was treating each other equally. And, you know, he was sitting next to some of the, 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 blondest haired, the bluest eyed people and not even thinking of them according to race. And, initially when he cuz he talked about how he thought that islam had a way of uniting everybody in an equal way that would tear down sort of racial barriers and my first thought was like well what is it about islam compared to any other religion that might do that but then he talked about again the experiences on on the rugs and in these sort of communal situations and, and talking about how like everyone, regardless of their skin color was eating from the same pot. Mm -hmm. Everyone was drinking from the same cup of water. Everybody was sleeping. Yeah. yeah, Everybody washed in the same water. Everybody is, is is sleeping on the same rug, just inches from each other. And when, when they're on the
1: pilgrimage, they're all dressed the same. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're, doesn't matter your race, it doesn't matter your social standing, everybody wears the same, uh, the same thing for the pilgrimage.
0: And it does seem like, as, as much as that kind of a, of an equality might be a, a message that you'd hear from Jesus, um, it certainly doesn't seem like a message that you would get from, you know, uh, Western European, North American Christianity as a whole. Um, There's a lot of segregated groups in in Christianity as much as they might try to act otherwise. So at the close of chapter 17, Malcolm has completed his pilgrimage uh, to Mecca, but it's not yet time to head back to America But it is time to bring this episode to a close. Hey, listeners, a funny thing happened while we were recording this episode. What that funny thing was is we talked a lot. Um, Our final recording file was nearly two hours long. um, And after much consideration, we've decided we're going to split this episode into two parts. Um, just because I think uh two hours I th- even even less than that, I think it trimmed down, it might come in 130, 135, but even that, I feel is a bit long for what we're trying to do here and uh and so I think we're going to try to trim it down into two 45 to 50 minute episodes. So unfortunately, we won't be getting to the end of you know the chapter section of the autobiography of Malcolm X this week. Uh, but we will be finishing that up next week. Or not next week, next episode, which will be the third week in September. And uh, and then we'll follow that up with the epilogue and the discussion of, the, uh, of Spike Lee's Malcolm X film uh, after that. So yeah, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thanks everybody for listening. And uh, we look forward to you coming back in a couple weeks when we wrap this whole thing up oh and if you're looking for something to do before the next podcast comes out why not read a fucking book